0: Y'all still doing good? Yeah. Some of you are still not sure. That's okay. <sighs> Y'all, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. I don't know if it's just that I get tired after a after a vacation or what it is, but man, I don't know. I'm just maybe it's because I'm tired, but I don't know. I'm almost emotional this morning. Um, so, if I cry, just bear with me man that 's so good though. What an awesome song to sing right after we receive these elements that represent the body and blood of Christ, and then we sing about our living hope. You, know, we sing that line about uh, his buried body beginning to breathe. I don't, does that not just like give you chills? Like just think about that. You know what dead people don 't do? they don 't breathe. Good news is, Jesus did. Man, that's good stuff. Um, let's, just, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I, I, I just I don't even know where to start. Um, what an awesome truth we just sang. What an awesome truth we just sang. Um, and any words that I could speak kind of pale in comparison to, to that truth that we have a Savior who came and won victory over the grave. Um, What an awesome truth, an awesome reality that you've allowed us to be a part of by identifying with your Son, by faith in Jesus. Um, So, Lord, today, as we open... Your word together. I, I pray that it wouldn't just be a routine that we do on Sunday mornings, but instead it would be um, because we've experienced the new life in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to drive us deeper into this word, to know this word, and to respond to this word. So, Father, today I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. Um, send your spirit to us here now and speak as only you can. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would move today, and I ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I'm going to do my best not to be real solemn this morning, but I'm telling you, it's got to just be that I'm tired because y'all, I'm I'm just you know feeling a little a little slow today. Um, so let's let's turn it around a little bit. Um, how many of you like water sports? Okay, can anybody in the room surf? Like, that's a real question. Has anybody actually like literally stood up on a surfboard and? Ah. Okay, wakeboard. Wakeboard, okay. That's good. I I didn't even try surfing. Um y'all, I I am not going to be able to do that. It was just like asking to like bang my head on the ocean floor and I'm 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 out. Like I don't know, the ocean freaks me out a little bit anyway, so um I'm not even going to try. So anyway, um anyway, I was trying to come up with how to introduce today's text and just so y'all know where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 13 today and go through the end of the chapter, and we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism. I hope that's not a a big secret to y'all. I'm not trying to hide that until the right moment. So we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism this morning. Um, But uh, I was trying to figure out how to introduce this text, how to um, really find an engaging engaging anecdote that might grab your attention, because a couple weeks ago I called you all a bunch of weirdos, um, and apparently that resonated with you. Um, it's crazy. I've gotten more comments about calling you weirdos than I have about anything that I've ever preached before. Um, you're like, hey, we're a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, you are. Like, um, anyway, so I was just kind of, I was amazed by that. And I'm like, man, I got to do a better job of grabbing y'all's attention. And, uh, and I was, so I was racking my brain. How do you up insulting the entire congregation in a way that they love it? How do you do better than that? Um, and I couldn't come up with one. So I, I, here's what I thought about doing though. And the reason I bring up water sports, is most of you all know, we, we spent time on the ocean this week. Um, it, it was a great time. Um, we had a blast. It's always good to go on vacation. I, I mean, we, I, I loved our vacation. It was a good time. Um, but it was even greater. I love coming home. Like, being home after vacation is awesome. I love that. So anyway, it's, it really is. It's good to be here. But um, the reason I bring up water sports is because uh, we tried boogie boarding. Has anybody ever done boogie boarding before? Like bodyboarding, I think is what it's actually called, but um, anyway, so there was one at the place we stayed, so I took it out on the ocean with us, and and there were some waves that were starting to crash. It's not like they were giant waves or anything, but they were rolling in, you know, and I got out, and I rode a couple of the waves just laying on my belly on top of this board, you know, and and I I rode them in, and my kids saw that, and they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. I I think I want to try that. I never did get Molly to lay down on the thing. She did sit on it and wrote a few, but that was fun. But anyway, then, uh, then my boys wanted to try it, and I, I had a video that I almost, I almost sent to Steve saying, hey, can we play this? Because I got it on video where my youngest child, he was laying on the board. He got on, a, it was just a little wave that was coming in, just starting to crash, and I'm holding on to him. He's laying on this thing, holding on, and I give him a little push, and he's, he's doing great until he gets back up on the wave and he starts pressing down on the front end of the board. And you all know what happens when the front end of the board goes under the water? Yeah, you go end over end. And he flipped over, and the reason I, about, I thought about using that as a good introduction is because, well, he got a baptism of sorts. Um, uh, somebody, somebody asked me this morning, where I told him that, they said, does that count? Um, I, I, don't, I don't think so. But anyway, he was definitely submerged. So I thought, you know, that would be a good illustration for baptism, but then I thought, you know, this... this this scene that we're about to look at here in a moment, is kind of like Jesus launching his public ministry. It's almost like he's saying, okay, it's time to go public with my ministry. You know, I've been, I've been waiting for 30 years, and now it's time that I'm going to step on the scenes. And from here on, we see Jesus out in his public ministry. Um, and he's engaging with people, he's teaching people, he's healing people, and we see all that begin with his baptism. Okay, so I thought, you know, what's a, what's a good illustration we could use for that? And I thought about Charles Spurgeon and the story of his conversion, and many of you guys know who Charles Spurgeon is. He's one of the greatest preachers ever. Um, and this, this guy, his conversion story and then launching into his public ministry is a cool story, and I thought, I could use Charles Spurgeon as a good introduction to, to bring people in. And then I realized none of those are going to be as good as calling people weird, So I might as well not even try. Um, Actually, what happened was I thought about this scene that we're about to read. And I thought, those stories that I just shared with you, those don't do this passage justice. Um, As much fun as it was to be out on waves, um, as cool as Charles Spurgeon's story is, they're nothing compared to what we're about to read. Um, They just don't hold a candle to it. So I thought, how do you introduce this text? Well, I think the best way to do it is just to read it. Um, so let's read the text, and let's see what it has to say this morning. So would you all stand with me? We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. So Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, "'I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me.' Jesus answered him, "'Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness.' Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, "'This is my beloved Son,' with whom I am well pleased. Thank God for his word, and you may be seated. So, so I read that text, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk about why I think that's such an awesome scene here in just a few minutes, but um, I, I read that text, and there's one very, very pointed question that keeps coming to my mind as I read this text, and I think it's an important one to ask, and I I don't think we can overlook it, and this is really what I want to focus our time around today, um, and that's this simple question, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? There's a, there's a lot of answers to that question. Judah, I know you know the answer to that, buddy, um, but I want to tell people, so can I tell them? <laughs> All right. maybe, maybe I need to just go sit. Man, that might be better. What was the point of Jesus being baptized? Why did he need to be baptized? Okay. Let's just think about this for a moment. Jesus had no sin from which he needed to be cleansed, right? We believe that Jesus was sinless, without sin. And if baptism is this picture of being washed clean, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, Matthew doesn't just come out and say, well, here's why Jesus was baptized. He doesn't just put it as clear as we could hope for. But he does give us some pretty, pretty good clues as to why Jesus was baptized. And that's what I would like to look at today. Um, uh, as we go through the text, I want to show you why it was that Jesus was baptized. But I don't want to just look and say and, and have this lecture time where it's like, well, here are the reasons um, that Jesus was baptized. I also want to show you why that matters. Like, how does that affect us now? Like, it's good to look at something theoretically and think, okay, so why was Jesus baptized? And work around the question and do all the exegesis and, and look at the words and see how they play together. And then find all the cross-references. That's all fun. But why does that matter to me today? Like, how does that change me today? Um, so, at the end of all of this, my, my goal is to show you why Jesus was baptized and then show you how we should respond. Okay? That's, that's my goal this morning. All right, so why was Jesus baptized? Well, first, Jesus was baptized by John, he says, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now, here's how this happens, right? How, I asked, how does this happen? How did Jesus' baptism, in what way did this fulfill all righteousness? Um, and I came up with a couple answers, actually. How does this fulfill righteousness? Well, it, it brings an identification with sinners, and it also sets an example for sinners, um, it does both of those things. So it's an identification with and a demonstration for sinners. Now we have to think back to two weeks ago um, whenever we looked at, at, at John's ministry, right? He's he's down by the Jordan River. He's preaching this, this baptism of repentance. Right? And all these people, they're coming down to him to be baptized. Now, at this point... It says all people, all people, all these people. There was this massive crowd that were coming down to John to be baptized. And John says in verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He's very clear. The baptism that John is performing in the Jordan is for repentance. Very clear. Okay? And again, that brings us to our problem. Jesus was not repenting of sin. He had no sin to repent of. So why did he come to John at the Jordan. Now there are some people who have speculated that Jesus wasn't sinless before this point, but that's just not clear. 2 Corinthians five twenty one actually says that he did not know sin, um, so that just doesn't make much sense. Jesus was sinless. The Bible is very clear again and again that Jesus did not know sin; he was without sin. So it can't be that he was repenting of anything. Instead, what Jesus was doing as he came down to the Jordan was both identifying with and acting as a demonstration, an example for sinners like who? Well, like you. Yes, that's right, Judah. Well done. A demonstration for us. He was identifying with us. And he was acting as an example for us. And now this, this idea of Jesus identifying with sinners is kind of a, a, a strange one, right? This is, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Like, this is God. And if you remember back several weeks ago, we talked about how Matthew's making these claims about who Jesus is. And he's saying, yeah, this is God, but he is also a man. So why in the world would God become man? Why would he want to identify with us? I mean, think about how he does this. The God of the universe became flesh. Why would he become like us? Why would he do that? That doesn't make sense, but he comes and he identifies with us in our humanity. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we are, just like us, so he could identify with us. He came to be with us. He loved us so much that he came to us. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, talking about how Jesus identified with sinners, it says that while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. And the religious people were offended by that. Thinking, Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why would you identify with those people? That doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be a holy man. Don't identify with them. But that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He comes and he identifies with us broken, lowly sinners. Luke chapter 7 is one of the, one of the coolest stories. And I don't think I have a slide in here, so you've got to look it up on your own. Luke chapter 7, here Jesus is, he's actually in the house of a Pharisee, visiting with this Pharisee. And it says that there was a woman in town who was a sinner. She found out where Jesus was, that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brings this jar of real expensive perfume. And what does she do with it? She pours it on Jesus. She anoints Jesus with it. And then she falls at his feet and washes his feet with her hair and her tears. She knew she was broken. And see, the Pharisee is thinking, why would you allow this to happen? Why in the world are you doing this? And Jesus makes it very clear. I'm here for people like her. I'm here to identify with the lowly and the broken. And Jesus shows grace to this woman. Why? Because he came to identify with broken sinners like you and like me. He didn't come for the people who were pretty self-sufficient, who think that they've got it all figured out, who are perfect and always buttoned up. You walk in, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Nothing's wrong with me, ever. Perfect smile. Everybody say cheese. No, I'm not taking a picture. It's okay. Y'all get it? You with me? Y'all napping? Am I the only one that's tired, or are y'all with me there? Okay, good. Good, so we're napping still. That's fine. All right. So, but think about this. Jesus came and he identified with these sinners. He sat with... He sat and he ate with tax collectors who were seen as the most undesirable people to the Jewish people. He came and he ate with sinners. Couldn't that have been misunderstood? Couldn't people have looked at that and been like, Jesus, you don't want to sit with them. People are going to think you're just like them. Well, yeah, yeah, that could have been misunderstood. But for Jesus, that was worth it. Because he came to identify with those broken people. But see, it wasn't just the identification with sinners. It wasn't just that, but it was also a demonstration for sinners, right? It was an example for sinners. Jesus never needed to be washed clean, but he was the Savior of those who did need to be cleansed. Those people who did need to be washed clean. Now, I don't believe that the Bible in any way teaches that baptism has a saving efficacy. I don't believe that the baptism saves you, okay? And I've been very clear about that again and again, and I'll continue to be clear about that. I don't think baptism has saving power in and of itself. Like, I can dunk you in water every Sunday from now until the time I die, and you're still just going to be getting wet in church. Like, that's all that's happening, okay? Until you know the saving grace of Jesus in your life. Don't get me wrong. Baptism is important, but baptism is not going to save you. Okay. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that in any way. However, the Bible does teach that baptism is a representation of the cleansing of a person from their sin. I mean, why were these people being baptized in the Jordan by John? It was a baptism for repentance. Turning from their sin. Away from their sin. Just like Blake talked about a little bit ago. Turning away from sin. That's what they were being baptized for. And I think it's important that Jesus, we assume, does this in front of people. Right? Just the text that we talked about two weeks ago, all these people were coming down to John, coming down to John, being baptized, and it actually says all people from all the region of Judea, all these people were coming down to John. So there's this massive crowd coming down to John to be baptized. And so much so that even the Pharisees catch on to this, and they're coming down like, hey, we want to be a part of the crowd. Like, we want the crowd to follow us too. They take notice. And now Jesus comes to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So we can assume, I think pretty safely, that Jesus here is baptized in front of people, right? Right? Now, all these people come down, and Jesus comes down to John and has people see him as he's baptized. Which means that this not only gives a precedent for us to follow as followers of Jesus, it's not only giving us an example, but it's also showing support for John's ministry. And John was doing what? Baptizing people for repentance of sin. So what do we need to do as a result of Jesus' ministry? I mean, like, what is he doing here? Well, he's setting an example for us. So that we can see we need to confess our sins, repent of our sins, and be baptized. But see, I don't think that's the only way that this fulfills all righteousness. And I'll show you how that fulfills all righteousness here in just a minute. I don't think that's the only way, though. Because I also think that this is a picture of something that's going to happen later. Um, And I didn't catch this on my own. I had to have a scholar help me with this. Um, It's a picture of a future baptism that would happen on the cross. Right? Luke chapter 12, verse 50 says, Jesus, speaking here, he says, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. And what is he talking about there? Well, I believe he's talking about the baptism he would undergo on the cross. This baptism of pain and agony. See, Jesus didn't just symbolically die like we celebrate in baptism. Symbolically dying to self, symbolically dying to sin. Jesus literally died. That's what he's talking about here with this baptism that he would undergo. And this was a picture of what was going to happen with Jesus. That he would be put in the grave and three days later he would come out alive. See, Jesus knew even as John submerged him into water that he had a job to do and that it would require him to be submerged into the pain and the agony of sin. This pictured the crucifixion of Jesus. But see, the sin that he was crucified for, that he was submerged in, It wasn't his own. It was yours, and it was mine. And Jesus knew that it would be painful, but it would lead to new life for those who would come by faith to him. So, in a way, this baptism did symbolically what the cross did literally. We see this submersion of Jesus. And the reason I say that this is fulfilling all righteousness is Jesus knew the greatest commandment. He teaches on the greatest commandment, right? Uh, many of you are familiar with it. If I said, "So, what's the greatest commandment?" Many of you could probably quote the text. Right, Matthew twenty-two, twenty-seven to thirty, or sorry, thirty-seven to thirty-nine. It says that Jesus tells the people whenever he's asked, "What's the greatest commandment?" He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." That's the greatest commandment. What's the second? Well, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as he led others to baptism, as he gives this example for others, he did symbolically what he would later do, literally, and he showed the greatest love possible by saying, look, I'm dying, I am dying for you, and I'm going to come back to life, winning victory over death and hell and sin. And he declared that his life would be spent loving the Father by loving those around him. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness in this. How? Well, it's by loving others. Loving the Father and loving others as he led the way for Him. So Jesus was baptized, first, to fulfill all righteousness. Second, Jesus was baptized by John to declare his ministry of reconciliation. He declared his ministry of reconciliation. This is kind of like the launching point. And as I was, as I was working on this, I almost said Jesus' ministry was one of peace. Um, some of you who know your Bibles well, though, you would know that's a problem. Um, because Jesus says literally says, I didn't come to bring peace. He says as much. So I don't want to say he came to bring a ministry of peace because that would just be very misleading whenever he says he didn't come to bring peace. Um, But see, all that's for another Sunday, so you're just going to have to hold on to that one. There's a little nugget for later. Is that a teaser? Is that what that's called? Anyway, don't have time to dive into all that today, so that's for another Sunday. But the reason I say that Jesus' ministry is one of reconciliation is because he came to bring peace between God and man. Not necessarily between men, because the truth is, the gospel, it's going to divide men. The gospel will divide men. It will divide families. It will divide friends. I I know, because I've seen it happen. You see somebody who falls in love with Jesus, who knows the truth of the gospel, and they say, Jesus is my life, and you see how that affects their relationships. It's going to cause problems at times. Um, i 'll admit I was very fortunate. Um, I say fortunate, I believe it was god 's sovereignty more than more than just dumb luck. Um, but I think back to my upbringing, I remember the day that I came in and I told my my, my parents that I, I, I I'd been saved said, so, you know, I know the grace of Christ like I know he 's forgiven me of my sin, and they were they were happy for me like I know i 'm incredibly blessed in that that 's not the experience everyone has. There are some people, whenever they come to know Christ, they're saying that I'm going to be disowned from my family or even put to death for that. There are people who have to go through that. Jesus didn't necessarily come to bring peace between men, but he came to bring peace with God. He came to bring peace with God. And that's... I just want us to get the scene here in today's text for a moment so we can see how this all plays out, okay? So just think about this. John this crazy prophet who's out in the wilderness wearing a camel hair garment with this belt around his waist. He's this fiery preacher out there saying, repent. And just like, I just picture him like today he'd be pounding a pulpit almost. Like that's what I get this picture of. Like just this fiery preacher out in the wilderness telling people to repent of their sin. Dressing these crazy clothes. Um, and doing all of this crazy stuff. And he's down here doing this. And he's even offending the religious people of the time, right? Calling them broods of vipers. Um, he's saying like, you're just a family serpents. And he's down here talking about this one who's going to come after him. This one who's going to come after him. He's like, I'm not even good enough. Like, I may be a prophet of God, but I'm not even good enough to get down on my hands and knees and untie the straps of his sandals. I'm not even good enough to do the thing that the lowest of slaves wouldn't be asked to do. And then here comes Jesus. The one that he's been talking about, right? And Jesus comes down and says, John, I need to be baptized by you. (laughs) John just said, I'm not even good enough to untie his sandals. And now Jesus comes and says, John, you need to baptize me. You need to baptize me. And John's like, no, I don't think so. That's not how this works, Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus persuades him, right? He persuades him. He says, no, 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 you need to do this. And the humorous part to me is verse 15, the last part of it. It says, then John allowed him to be baptized. Do do y'all get the humor in that? Could John have stopped Jesus from being baptized? I mean, just think about this. Could John have really stopped him? I just think it's funny that John says, uh, it's like, well, okay, Jesus, fine. I suppose I'll let you be baptized. I mean, you know, I'm not even worthy of untying your sandals, but I suppose I'll do what you say I need to do. Um, I, I just think that's funny. That really has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But anyway, um, so he goes on. He goes, he goes on. He talks him into being baptized. They go down into the water. And then verse 16, it says, When Jesus was baptized... He went up immediately from the water, the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, we miss this because our language says, okay, he went down to the water, and whenever he came up, you know, suddenly the heavens, uh, that doesn't do it justice. Like, suddenly the heavens were open. That's not what the text says. As a matter of fact, that word suddenly, whenever it says the heavens suddenly opened, that word is it's just an exclamation. Um, it's kind of like saying, some of your translations may say behold, or, um, or something like look, the heavens opened. Something along those lines. See, if I was going to put this into our, our modern day English right now, I would probably say something like, Jesus went down in the water and whenever he came up, boom, the heavens are opened. See, we miss this. It's just like it's an exclamation. Sorry if I scared somebody. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, that's what happens. Just he goes down in the water, comes up, and boom, the heavens are opened up. Actually, I like Mark's translation or Mark's uh, Mark's version of this passage because he doesn't just say that the heavens are open. He says that the heavens are torn open. Like this is not some some relaxing where Jesus goes and he comes back up. Oh, yay! It's all good. No. He goes down the water, and he comes up, and boom, the heavens are being ripped open, almost as if heaven cannot contain the awesomeness of what's going on right now. Like, they just can't handle it. I get this picture in my mind, like, angels just wanting to see the picture of Jesus being baptized, like, seeing Jesus, a picture of Jesus' death and his resurrection, just a picture of it, not actually the real event, and they just want to see it so bad that they're just, like, clawing at the floor of heaven, just trying to get to where they can see. Like, that's the picture I get in my mind of this. These... These heavenly beings, heaven can't contain the glory of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus goes down in the water and he comes up and boom, the heavens are being ripped apart. I told you there's no illustration I can give you that's going to hold a candle to that. How awesome is that? The heavens being ripped open. And then here comes this dove-like spirit that comes down on Jesus. I don't know if it looked like a dove like we picture a dove or if it was something that was just similar to a dove because the texts just say the spirit came like a dove. So we don't know if it's just like it or if it was an actual, like a physical dove. We don't know. But the spirit comes down on Jesus. And I read this. I read this text as someone who has virtually never known a time without our 21st century, century technology. Right? I read this. And I think, even if, even if, Somebody in this room, and some of you are pretty smart people, even if somebody in this room wanted to like, reenact this scene, and you're trying to figure out, how am I going to make this look like the text says it happened? Y'all, I don't think you have enough special effects. I don't think you could pull it off. So there's my challenge to you. Figure out how you're going to go down in a river and pull this off. like Make this scene happen with the heavens being ripped open and this booming voice from heaven coming down. See, this is the first century. There's no special effects, no holograms, no drones, no speakers, nothing but the Son of God declaring the beginning of His public ministry. And the Father showing favor on His Son and declaring peace between the Son and the Father. That's what's happening here. And that's the reason I call this a ministry of reconciliation. It's because this this form that this, the Spirit took. Okay, It's a dove, right? You all know what the dove's a symbol of. I'm sure. You've Y'all have watched enough movies. You know what a dove's a picture of, right? It's a picture of purity and peace, right? We, we know what a dove stands for, and it stood for the same thing then. And Jesus, he came to bring peace between God and man. And this scene demonstrates that he is the purity that we need to be made right with God. Now, just a quick illustration, and I'll move on. But think about the first time we see a dove in the Bible. How many of y'all know where that is? Noah. Noah. That's right, that's right. I'm oh, sorry, I should have waited to see the hand raised. If you didn't raise your hand before you answered, shame on you. Oh, goodness. Yes, no. Noah, right? Noah, Genesis chapter 8. But there was a bird sent out before the dove, wasn't there? There was a raven. And the raven went out, but he didn't come back. Why? Well, because he had plenty to eat elsewhere, which is kind of gross, but we're not going to get into that. But the raven left and he didn't come back. The dove, however, whenever he left, he came back the first time with finding no place to land. Second time, comes back with an olive leaf, which, by the way, is another symbol of peace. Third time, he doesn't come back at all because he's found a place to stay. But what we see is this dove as a picture of peace, of favor between God and Noah. And now, with Jesus, God uses the same picture, this same bird, to declare peace between God and man. And who is that through? Well, the one who that peace landed on. Jesus. Jesus. And this scene shows us that peace with God is found in Christ. It's found in Jesus. Jesus was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness, and he was baptized by John to declare his ministry of reconciliation. Third, Jesus was baptized by John to please his father. He was baptized by John to please his Father. You get to verse 17, and that's where this voice from heaven comes in, right? And the text doesn't say who the, whose voice this is, but I think we can assume whose voice is coming from heaven. God's. Okay. Yeah, it's not a trick question. We're good. Um, I believe it's God. God the Father. And just, I, I love this. God the Father is speaking to God the Son as God the Spirit descends on the Son in the form of a dove. You want a picture of the Trinity? Well, here you go. Um, here it is. You've got the Father, Son, and Spirit, all three in one scene. So the Trinity pictured right there one God, three persons. But as this happens, God says, This is my beloved Son. See, God declares that Jesus is his Son. He declares right here in this scene, He declares that he's the Son. And I, I read this and I'm like, Okay, did anybody hear this voice but Jesus? I mean, the text says that it was him seeing, him hearing. Like, Jesus heard and saw these things. Did anybody else see and hear him? Like, that's, uh, I think that's a reasonable question. And the answer is yes. Go over and read John's account of this, and you'll see that John says, I heard it. I saw the dove. So, yeah, there was more than one person that saw this. It was more than just Jesus. The people around, I think we can safely assume, saw this picture also. You see, God here declares that Jesus is a son. But not just a son or my son, but my beloved son. My beloved son, the one that I love. See, this, this word beloved, it's uh, from the word agape. And I know a lot's been made of the word agape. It's a, one of the many words that can be translated as love. This is that selfless, self-sacrificing love. Um, and it's used here as an adjective to describe the son. God's saying, I love my son. I love my son. I give myself for my son. I, I selflessly love him. He's saying, this is my favored son. I know it was his only son, but the one who the father loves. He was set apart by that unique love that the father had bestowed on him. He loved him. And what's more, God says that he is pleased with him. Literally, my my translation says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Um, The word, it literally means to take pleasure in or to delight in. Like he delights in his son. Those of you who have kids in the room... um, (laughs) Never, never mind, I was going to ask if you delight in your children. <laughs> Those of you who are awake know why that's funny. Like, do you delight in your children? Some of you are like, depends, what day is today? Um, so, uh, I'll just move on. Don't, don't show hands, that, that would not go well. But God declares that he, is, he takes delight in his son. And what we need to recognize is that, that we're, we're not like Jesus in this. Okay, I want to be careful here because I say that the reason Jesus was baptized was to please the Father. And you, you might hear me say, be baptized to please God. Or to make God delight in you by being baptized, I'm just gonna be honest with you. There's no action that you can take that's gonna that's gonna make God pleased with you. Um, like there's there's no action that you can make to make God love you more. Um, that you can't, uh, baptism included. Like God loves you as much right now as He's ever gonna love you, uh, because it's infinite. Like th- you know, it's more than infinite. Like n- nothing, because it never ends. You can say infinity times two. No, that's just silly. That's not real, okay? So we're going to move past that. So he loves you as much as he could possibly love you already. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus was the only one that could actually please the Father. See, what we need to recognize is that we're not like Jesus in this. On our own, we cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six 6 actually says that. It says, now without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. Because we've all sinned. We have all sinned. And because of that, we can't please God on our own. We can't. We cannot please God on our own. We have a chasm that cannot be crossed because of our sin. And we need someone else, someone greater, someone so much greater that we're not even worthy to untie the straps of their sandals to come and fill that gap for us. We need someone who can please the Father. I think you all probably know what I'm getting at here. Um, the one who does, has, and will continue to please the Father is Jesus. And as this scene unfolds down at the Jordan, Jesus is identified as the one, the one with whom God the Father is pleased. Jesus is that one that we need. So Jesus was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness, to declare his ministry of reconciliation, to please his Father. So what? Well, This may sound simple enough, but what does it all have to do with us, right? Jared, you've lectured for like two hours already. What's the point? Okay. Well, how do we respond to this? What do we do different? Okay. Two things that we need to do in response to Jesus' baptism by John. First of all, this may sound incredibly simple. Identify with the Savior. He's already come to identify with us. The question is, will we identify with him? See Matthew here, in a lot of ways, he's echoing, he's echoing the words of Isaiah, right? Many of you have heard a passage on, on what, what we've come to know as the suffering servant. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Isaiah 42, verse one. Um, uh, Isaiah writes this, and he says, "This is my servant. I strengthen him, this is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations." Does that sound familiar? Sound like anything we've already read today? Right? Jesus is the one in whom the Father delights, Right, the servant in whom he delights, and the one whom he has put his spirit on. You all pick up on that? The dove descended on him. The spirit descended on him. So what did he come to do if we're just tying this back to Isaiah 42? Well, he came to bring justice to the nations. Now, on the surface, I'll be honest with you, this is bad news for us. That's bad news for sinners like us. If God came to bring justice to the nations, and just so y'all know, you're a part of the nations, if He came to bring justice, that's not going to go well for me. Um, Because if I get what's just, I'm going to be damned to hell. And I didn't say a bad word, I literally mean we're going to be sent to hell for eternity. Um, This is bad news, right? Y'all see how this is a problem. Nobody gets it? That's not good. This is bad news for us because we are sinners and if we get what's just and we pay the price for our sins, which is eternal death in a place that the Bible calls hell. But see, the good news and really the best news in the world that we could ever have is that the one who can and did please the Father, who did not sin, who defeated the enemy that we could not, he came and he identified with lowly broken people like me. Y'all, that's something that we should celebrate. Jesus came and he lived a life to suffer a baptism of pain and suffering on the cross. And he paid the penalty, not for his own sin, but for yours. For your sin. And the key to all of this is this is that Jesus came to identify with us. Now the question is, will we submit to King Jesus and identify with him as a citizen of his kingdom? Will we submit to him as king, as Lord? Will we do that? See, I can't promise a lot of things, but one thing I can promise is that his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, his love for you, it's enough. I can promise that because, well, God says as much. It's enough. So how do we identify as a member of his kingdom? It's by trusting in the king. It's by faith in Jesus. So when we've trusted in that king, my next question is, second thing we do in response, I guess I should say, is when you've trusted that king, in King Jesus, you follow him. You follow him. Now, that has a pretty broad range of applications. The most obvious, of course, would be baptism, right? Why did Jesus come to be baptized by John? Well, Obviously, it's not as simple as we, we would say on the surface, but if we know Jesus, said another way, if we say that Jesus is our Lord, then we will follow our leader, and part of that is baptism. But the reason I say it's more broad than that is because how do we follow Jesus? Okay, I've been baptized, now what? Well, I'm sorry, but the Christian, I'm not sorry. I, I, somebody just got bingo. Um, I'm not sorry for saying this. The Christian faith is one of dying, it's one of dying. The Christian faith is one of dying to self, it's dying to sin, it's dying to my wants, my dreams, my desires, and living instead for that of the Father. That's what the Christian faith is about. See, the reason I get frustrated with watering the Christian faith down is because we've made it one of sunshine and rainbows. Um, It's like everything's going to be pretty all the time, and if you follow Jesus, you're never going to have problems, you're going to have health, you're going to have wealth, you know, your family's going to look picture perfect, and you can put it on a postcard, right? Right? That's kind of how it's been deemed. But the truth is, the Christian faith is one of dying. It's dying to myself. It's dying to my sin. It's dying to my desires. Instead, living for Christ. Now, that's simple to say. That's really hard to do. And I'll tell you whenever I get it all figured out. Um, Somebody got that. I'm so glad somebody got that joke. It's really easy to say, but it's really hard to do. See, the gospel says that Jesus died for us and that if we're going to identify as a citizen of his kingdom, we need to come to him and submit to him as king of our lives. It's not as simple as just saying, well, I prayed a prayer and I signed a card, whatever it is, whenever I was saved. It's bigger than that. It's submitting my life to the king of the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. That's what he demonstrated for us, submitting to the will of the Father. So my question then is, will you follow the king? Will you follow the master? Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for the challenge that this word has been to me. Um, Lord, and I pray that you would use it to challenge others likewise. Um, Father, and I, I pray that you would give us faith, that you would give us the faith that we need to, to submit our lives to King Jesus, to submit our lives to you as not just, not just Savior, but as the Lord of our lives. Because those two things are, they're, they can't be separated. So Lord, I, I pray that you would help us. Um, Lord, I thank you that you've shown us um, in your word how to live. We don't have to question what is right, what is not. Instead, we have your word. We have your son who came and showed us how to live. He taught us how to live sacrificially laying our wants, our desires down for that of the Father. Um, Lord, so I pray that we would just follow our Master. And I pray that you would give us the strength to do so. Lord, I pray that you would make this word effective. um, And that you would do what only you could do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.